Good morning, friends. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Can anyone find it first and stand up? And Ecclesiastes. We are going to begin a series uh, over the next three months on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm curious, how many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes before? Okay. All right, good. I've been excited about preaching on this for, for quite a while. About a year ago, I was uh, studying to preach a few sermons on the book of Proverbs. And uh, in my study, also was drawn over to Ecclesiastes. I'm having trouble finding it in my Bible while I'm talking. Um, and I got really excited about preaching on it and was planning to preach on it at the beginning of this year, but felt like God was leading us elsewhere. And so I've been thinking about this series for about a year now, and um, I, I don't want to you know, put your expectations too high or anything, but I've just been thinking about it for a while, and I, I'm excited about it. I, I think that this book has a lot to teach us about how to live faithfully in our life in this world today. I want to begin by reading the first three verses of Ecclesiastes. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Wow, what did you learn at church today? (laughs) This is not something that we expect to find in the Bible. It's, It's a bit shocking and unnerving even. As followers of Jesus, we're people of hope, right? We're people of joy, And this is the book that God has given to us so that we may have hope and so that we may have joy and so that we may communicate hope and joy to others. And we have this book called Ecclesiastes that begins meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. Why would a book like this be in the Bible? And why in the world are we going to spend the next three months (laughs) studying it? I think the message of the teacher, and that's uh, what the the, the main author of this book, he calls himself, the teacher. The message of the teacher is important for us living in 21st century America because we are trained to be really impressed with the stuff of this world under the sun. Especially with the technological advances that we've made in the last 20 or 30 years, there's a lot of hope that human technology is going to solve the world's problems. And we're told in one way or another that this world is all that there is, that there is no spiritual life, that there is no eternal life, that these 80-ish years that you get here on earth is really as good as it gets. And in the abundance that we have here in America, most people can go about living their lives fairly content with the material things that they have. Many people, your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe even you, live your life seeking to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in things here under the sun. 
And Ecclesiastes puts a big wet blanket on all of that. Ecclesiastes speaks really honestly about everything that you and I are tempted to seek in order to find meaning in our lives. Money and power and influence and relationships and religion. The teacher does not deny the goodness of any of those things. In fact, the teacher will often say that those things are good. It's it's good to enjoy a beautiful sunny day. It's good to enjoy good wine and a good meal with friends. It's good to enjoy something like hard work, to enjoy the satisfaction of a hard day's work. But the teacher in this book tells us that none of these things have meaning in and of themselves. They will not make you content. If you place your hope in them, you will be disappointed. Wealth, power, relationships, pleasure, they don't last. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And we cannot even guarantee that the wealth and the pleasure that we have now will even be here in our possession tomorrow. The teacher tells us that he has tried it all. Do you think that dozens of lovers will make you happy? I've been there. It won't. Do you think that having lots of money will make you happy? He says, I've got everything I could possibly want, and I'm not content. Do you think that accomplishments will satisfy you? I've accomplished great things. I've built cities. I've built towers. They won't satisfy you. Or how about this one, Christian? The teacher asks that if you think that living a life of obedience to God... That if you think that making all of the right sacrifices at the right time, doing all of the right things, is going to somehow give you an advantage here under the sun against the, believer next, the unbeliever next to you, then you're fooling yourself. Here under the sun, the righteous and the unrighteous both die at precisely the same rate. And an accident or some chance event can cause your life to fall apart just as much as the non-believer. If Ecclesiastes was watching the news over the last uh, couple weeks here in the United States, he would say to us, he would remind us, Christians and non-Christians alike in Houston and in Florida lost their homes and their businesses and everything that they had worked for in their lives. The rain falls on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And the teacher, with brutal and painful honesty, puts life under the sun and all of its endeavors in its proper place. He refuses to allow us to live our lives with these trite platitudes that just kind of get us through the day, like everything's going to be all right in the end. He doesn't want to hear that. And over the next few months, we're going to allow the teacher to show us the truth about our life here under the sun. Because we are tempted to place our hope in something here. We're tempted to believe that we can manage our suffering and our pain away. We're tempted to believe that we can protect and guard our stuff so that we'll be happy and content. And what we're going to discover along the way is that true meaning in life cannot come from the stuff of life here under the sun. But that meaning must come from someone beyond the sun. 
two resources that I want to point you to as uh, they've been very helpful to me over the last year uh, in studying Ecclesiastes. First is a book called Peter, uh, called Three Philosophies of Life by an author named Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T. And if you are a thinker, if you like philosophy, um, he has done a wonderful job uh, talking about the books of Song of Solomon. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And that was really the book that really energized me uh, about a year ago as I was studying. The second... Uh, for, for anybody, I found this resource very helpful. If you go to the website, thebibleproject.com, uh, there is a, a teacher named Tim Mackey, and uh, he and his friends have put together some amazing videos. I've shown it one or two here on Sunday mornings. And uh, his teaching on Ecclesiastes has re- been really, really helpful to me. Thebibleproject.com. So before we dive into Ecclesiastes specifically, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the wisdom literature of the Bible. Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. This is known as the wisdom literature of the Bible. These three books are collections of ancient wisdom, tried and tested writings about how to live a good and wise life in the world. And these writings were originally valued by the Jewish people because they were old, The ancient Israelites trusted things that were old. They valued tried and true ancient wisdom, which is the opposite of us today, right? We like anything that's new. Any new information we get, that's what we value. Uh, But we are reminded as we read uh, the wisdom literature that what is old often has much more value to us than what is new. And maybe this is actually a lesson that we're learning in our culture right now with all the, the reality that we know about this stuff called fake news that we hear all the time. That we know that the information that we receive, this, the newest information, is almost always false <laughs> in some way or another. And so we need, I think, as believers to begin to look back at the ancient wisdom that the scriptures as well as uh, our Christian tradition offers to us. So Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes are uh, the wisdom tradition of the scriptures. And I want to spend a bit of time talking about how to understand uh, these three books. Because uh, Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, they they all go together. Each of them uh, give us a different perspective on what it means to live a wise life in the world. And if you only read Proverbs and don't also read Ecclesiastes and Job, uh, it's not going to be a full picture. If you only read Ecclesiastes and ignore Job or Proverbs, you're not going to get a full picture of what living a wise life is all about. And one of the unique things about these three books is that they stand outside of the story of Israel. A few years ago, I preached through a series that we called The Bible in God's Mission. And you might remember we had a timeline on the screen that you could see, for some reason, much better uh, than the picture up there right now. But we had a timeline on the screen that that walked us through the major point of the scriptures where God revealed to us uh, his plans and purposes for the world. And you really can't place Proverbs or Job's and Ecclesiastes on that timeline between Genesis and Revelation. In these books, there's no talk about the descendants of Abraham. There's no talk about the temple. There's no talk about God's great work in history, like how he redeemed his people out of of Egypt in the Exodus. The writer of Ecclesiastes does not use the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh, but rather he uses the word Elohim, which is the generic name used for God or the gods in the scriptures. 
And because of that, these three books speak to our common humanity, the common experience of being human in this world. And you really don't have to be a Jew or Christian to read them and to kind of get them and to feel like, yeah, this book makes sense to me. So I think it's really a good book. I would even recommend that if you are uh, witnessing to someone, that you would even commend the book of Ecclesiastes to a non-believer. Because it really reveals to them, the exposes to them their worldview, that life here under the sun is not enough to make us content. In these books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, we find instructions about how the world works, how we should view the world, and how we should live in a way that brings health and wholeness to our own lives and to our communities. And so when we come to the book of Proverbs, we come to a book that gives lots of principles about how to live a good life. And Proverbs covers just about every topic you can think of. It talks about money and work and sex and relationships It's a book of general principles about the very best ways to live our lives. It tells us how to wisely navigate this world that we live in. And Proverbs tells us that if we follow the words of Proverbs, then things are going to go well with you. If you listen to the words of Proverbs, if you follow Proverbs' advice, Proverbs tells us that things are then going to go well with us. But what is important to know is that Proverbs are are Proverbs. They're not promises. They are principles about living a good life. They are the general rule, but there are exceptions to the rule. We live in a fallen world, and things don't always go exactly like they should, right? When you are learning to spell, you learned a rule. That when there's the two letters I and E next to one another, that you should put the I before the E. And then the next day you came in and your teacher said, I told you yesterday that you're supposed to put the I before the E, but after C, you actually reverse it and you put the E before the I. And then you came back the next day and, and she said this, you know, I before E except after C, and then also sometimes Y... And also in words that sound like A, like neighbor and way. If you're going to spell well, you have to learn the rules. And you also have to be aware that there are going to be exceptions to to those rules. And if you are going to live well, you need to know the rules given to you in Proverbs. His rules that tell us about how to live a life of wisdom. But you also need to know that this world is fallen and it doesn't always work out the way that it should. And sometimes there are exceptions to the rules. And those exceptions to the rules really, really, really bother the teacher. They really annoy him. And so he looks at these Proverbs and he exposes them and he explores them and he he takes something that's in the book of Proverbs and he holds it up to the light and he, he takes a magnifying glass out and he investigates those Proverbs and he says, yes, that proverb, that proverb is true, except in all of those times that it is not. 
And the teacher studies and investigates and tries to figure out all of those times when life just doesn't work out like the way that it should. So let me give you an example. Let's compare what Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job all say regarding the righteous and the unrighteous and what their fate is, how they will live um, a, whether they will live a long life or not. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 2 says this, Keep my commands in your heart. They will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Proverbs 13, 9 says, The light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. Now these proverbs are generally true, right? A person who lives an upright life, a person who cares for their neighbor, a person who cares for their family, a person who is responsible and wise with their money is generally going to live a longer life, is generally going to be more prosperous. But then the book of Job and Ecclesiastes come along and they give us a different perspective. Now, Job is a book about a man, a man named Job, who was a blameless man, perfect, righteous. Even God said that Job was blameless. And Job, though, suffers all kinds of terrible things. Most of his family dies. His wife turns his back against him. He gets really sick. And so as he's thinking about this, at one point in the, in his, in the book, he says, in life... How often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? Proverbs says, The light of the righteous shine brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. And Job's thinking, Wait a second. Here in my own experience, in this suffering that I'm going through, I have to ask this question in life. How often is the lamp of the wicked really snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon the wicked, the fate that God allots in his anger? And then in Ecclesiastes, he says this, In this hevel, we'll talk about the word hevel in a minute, In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these things, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. What we're going to see in Ecclesiastes is that the teacher of Ecclesiastes knows the Proverbs. In fact, he may have written most of them. But he also knows that as he has observed and as people like Job have experienced, the ideal way to live our lives doesn't always turn out ideally. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes chance comes and steals away the things that we have worked for. If we're going to truly live a wise life, we need to be ready to receive whatever this life has to offer. And to learn to trust God through all of it. All of these books and the perspective that they give are needed to live a wise life. If you read Proverbs as a book of absolute promises that are always true in every single circumstances, you're going to be very frustrated, very disappointed, and even angry at God. So this is why God didn't just give us Proverbs, but also Job and Ecclesiastes as well, so that we would understand the whole counsel of God's word to us. Well, Proverbs gives us general, universal rules about how to live life well. The scriptures also give us the frustrating and painful experiences of Job. Because all of us go through painful and frustrating experiences, don't we? 
scriptures also give us the observation of the teacher of Ecclesiastes that tells us that honest truth, that in our world things don't always turn out like they should. Sometimes the righteous do have their lives cut short, and sometimes the wicked live a long life in their wickedness. In the Bible, the whole Bible, and all of the wisdom literature help us to live our lives well and to understand the things that come toward us. They help us to live in the very best way. They help us to navigate our lives so that when we bump up against things that happen that don't meet our expectations, that can be frustrating and painful and infuriating, that we will not lose heart. If we're going to live wise lives, we need Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes to understand the particular difficulties and nuances of all of our lives here under the sun. So back to Ecclesiastes. I want to talk very briefly about the the structure of this book. There are actually two different voices in the book, and it's important for us to know that. Uh, The book is actually introduced to us by an editor. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. These are the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then there's a quotation mark, and that quotation mark lasts all the way until Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8, the editor summarizes, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And then the editor gives a bit of a a postlude. Here are my conclusions to the matter. So we have the editor who has compiled all of the teacher's teachings and put it together. And he's given us what the teacher says about life. And at the very end, the editor then says, you've heard what the teacher says. Now I want to reflect on it. I want to talk about this dynamic throughout the sermon series, between this conversation between the editor and the teacher. What I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is to focus on these first three verses of chapter 1 and talk in particular about two main ideas that continue to come up through the rest of the book. And the first is this Hebrew word called hevel. Can you say that with me? Hevel. H-E-V-E. Hevel. This is the word that is most often translated as meaningless. But it literally means vapor or breath or smoke. This is a word picture. It's a metaphor. So the 38 times in this book when you will read through Ecclesiastes and you will read him saying the word meaningless, it's the word hevel. And so I'm just going to introduce this word to our, um, to our vocabulary today. And I'm going to use this word as if it's an English word. Because the word meaningless, while it does get at to some of the meaning of the word hevel, it doesn't uh, get at all of it. Now, this morning, I had a really great illustration for you. I have a fog machine down here. And I tested it on Thursday, and it filled my entire office up with fog. It was awesome. And so this morning, I got here, and it's not working. <laughs> Which is very Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense and just serves an illustration just as well. That you can manage and you can plan things and you can work for them and you can do everything that you need to do. And it still doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to. Just like my microphone today has been goofy. It's all just a really good illustration of Ecclesiastes this morning. So imagine with me right now that there's this fog in the room. Okay. 
Imagine this big cloud. You can't even see me, can you, Sandy? Yeah, Sandy can't even see me. Your imagination is great. It's all this fog in the room. And just imagine what it's like, okay? It's there, but you can't really grab it, right? We were in an airplane this past week, and we could look out the window, and we could see these clouds. And you just want to kind of jump on the clouds. What would happen if you did that? You'd fall right through. There's nothing there. It's Hevel. This is the way that the writer of Ecclesiastes most often describes life as Hevel. It's here, and then it's gone. If this fog was working in a couple minutes, it would be gone. It was there, we saw it, but then it's gone again. And the writer of Proverbs uses this word hevel in a couple of different ways. First of all, he uses it to describe life as temporary. Life is temporary. So in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7 and 8, he says this, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is hevel. Life is temporary. You know those, those days sometime in late March or, uh, or, or early May, late April, when spring breaks? It's been dark for months. It's been cold for months. And there's that day when you know that that winter is over. The teacher says that is sweet. It's an enjoyment to see the sun. It's a good thing. But then he says, just remember all the things that you enjoy in life. They're all heavy. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They're like smoke. They're like vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. The second way that he uses this word is to tell us that life is unmanageable paradoxical and out of your control. Sometimes the fog machines just don't work. Life is unmanageable, paradoxical, and out of your control. So in Ecclesiastes verse 8.14, the writer says this, There is something else that is hevel that occurs on the earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This is hevel. How often do we feel that? When we watch wicked people get what good people deserve and good people get what wicked people deserve. And the teacher is saying that that's the way that life is here under the sun. That's the way that it is. And you can't control it. It's not the way it should be. It's hevel. But you can't control it. Just like smoke, it's real. We can see it with our eyes, but if we try to grasp it, if we try to figure it out, if we try to manage it, manage it we're going to find out that that doesn't work. Something happens and throws all of it out of whack. And so when the teacher tells us that our life is meaningless or that our life is hevel, he is not saying this. He's not saying, I've studied everything, I've experienced everything, and I've discovered here that life has no meaning. Rather, what he is saying is that all of life is like vapor and smoke. It is here today, it is gone tomorrow, and not only that, you can't control and manage it. You're going to find out in life that there are simply some things that are beyond your control and that don't make sense, and so you better be ready for that. 
So we're going to use this word hevel as a part of our vocabulary over the next 12 weeks. The second idea that the teacher gives to us in these first three verses, oh, something else is hevel under the sun. It's not going to my right one. Okay. We'll go to that in a minute. Life under the sun. In verse 3, we find that the teacher's favorite second phrase after Hevel is under the sun. And the teacher is describing life under the sun. And I believe that this is the key to understanding the teacher's perspective. Look at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 1. The teacher says this, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are hevel, a chasing after the wind. The teacher is telling us that he has attempted, he has, he has done this thought experiment. He's looked at the world, he's reobserved the world, he's paid attention to everything that happens under the sun. He's done all of these observations. And so in other words, the teacher is describing in his book the very best that we as human beings can come up with under our own observation. In the book of Ecclesiastes, God never speaks one time. He's mentioned. Sometimes claims are made about God, but God never speaks directly a single time. Ecclesiastes is the teacher's word about his observations about life in the world. And what I want to suggest to you is that the book of Ecclesiastes is the very best sense that human beings can make of the world on our own strength and in our own reason. Ecclesiastes is human reason without the aid of God's revelation, trying to figure out what life is all about. But at the same time, Ecclesiastes is a part of God's word to us. It's God's revelation to us in this negative way. It's God's truth to us coming through the back door. Ecclesiastes reveals to us that if we try to make life a meaning in life without God, without his word, without his revelation to us, what we get is what the teacher concludes, that life is hevel. The teacher, by expressing honestly the very best that human insight and observation and reason has to offer, shows us that human insight and observation and reason is not enough. Let me say that again. The teacher, by expressing honestly the very best that human insight and observation and reason has to offer, shows us that human insight and observation and reason are not enough to give meaning to our lives. Does that make sense? The teacher restricts his reflections to life under the sun. He doesn't look back at Genesis and Exodus and the great deeds of God in history. He just looks at life under the sun and comes to the conclusion that life is hevel. And so he asks these penetrating and deep and honest questions about life under the sun. And those questions are answered in the rest of the Bible. Ecclesiastes asks the question to which the rest of the Bible is the answer. There is one beyond the sun who knows us and who acts in our lives. 
who reveals himself to us, and not only that, but has entered into the hevel of our lives in Jesus and has experienced it for himself. So throughout this book, this teacher tells us over and over again that life is hevel, and he gives us some evidence for this hevel. And over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the evidence that the teacher gives that life is hevel. And we're going to talk about five different things as the teacher talks about um, this is his evidence, this is his argument that life is hevel because of time, because of chance, because of evil, because of death, and because of the mystery of God in his ways. All of these things make life hevel, make life unmanageable, make it outside of our control, reveal to us that life is here today and gone tomorrow. This is the teacher's evidence that life is hevel, time, chance, evil, death, mystery, and the mystery of God in his ways. The next five sermons, then, we're going to talk about all of the ways that you and I attempt to unhevel our lives. All of the ways that you and I try to pretend that life here is permanent. All of the ways that you and I try to make life manageable. Try to make sense of this life here under the sun. We do that by, or the teacher does that by pursuing wisdom, by pursuing pleasure, by pursuing wealth and power and success, by pursuing duty and service to others, and by pursuing religion and piety. And he says that all of these things by themselves, while they may all be very good things, none of them keep life from being hevel. So I want to finish today by turning to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 8 through 12. I want to read here what the editor says about Ecclesiastes. And then I want to talk about three things that I think that we need to learn over the next three months as we study this book. Ecclesiastes 12, I'm going to read first verses 8 through 12. So the teacher has said everything that he has to say, and the editor sums up the teacher's teaching. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise, that is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, the words of the wise are like goads. Their collective sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. <laughs> and much study wearies the body. The editor of this book says that the, the wisdom writings and all of their collected sayings are like goads, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. A goad is a a shepherd's poker. A goat is what a shepherd used to, to poke the sheep to go in the direction that the shepherd wanted him to go, wanted them to go. This is a beautiful image because we have a shepherd, a good shepherd who invites us to live life with him. And part of the guidance that he gives to us in our lives are Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. 
And the writer here tells us the end of Ecclesiastes that these wise words are like goads. They, they point us in a particular direction. And sometimes those goads, because they're like firmly embedded nails, they really hurt. They don't feel comfortable. And sometimes they make us do things and take us places that we would rather not go. These wise words lead us down paths that we have not planned to walk down. And so there are at least three things that I believe that God wants to teach us in our study of Ecclesiastes. And the first is humility. Ecclesiastes teaches us humility. We have limits. We don't and we cannot know everything. Even though God has revealed himself to us, even though he has given us the Bible and his word, we still do not know everything that there is to know about life and our world and about God. The scriptures tell us everything that we need to know, but they don't tell us everything that there is to know. And so we need to approach life in our neighbors, in our conversations with our unbelieving neighbors, in our conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ with humility. Ecclesiastes and all of the wisdom literature don't give us all of the answers. And part of what wisdom literature teaches us is that we don't know everything. That's the inclusion, conclusion to the entire book of Job. Here's a man who was blameless, and Job at the end demands an audience with God, and God shows up and he speaks into Job's life and he says to Job, Job, you're not God and you don't know everything. And Job is silent in God's presence. Ecclesiastes and all of the wisdom literature teach us that as human beings we have limits. Our discipleship, our following Jesus is not about knowing all of the answers, but trusting in Jesus, who we know does know all of the answers. And learning to trust him even when we have very difficult questions and even when we bump up against things in our life that don't make sense and that are deeply frustrating and deeply painful. The second thing that Ecclesiastes wants us to learn is that we can't control our lives. Part of what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us is that we need to accept that we are not ultimately in control. Life is hevel. It is like smoke. We can try to grasp it, but it slips through our fingers. We can try to manage it, but ultimately our control is an illusion. You may do everything right, and bad things still might happen to you. In your financial life, you may follow Dave Ramsey's plan perfectly. And because our life is heaven, you may still end up with nothing in the end. We just don't know. We don't have full control over our lives, and part of wisdom is accepting that. We live wisely. We follow the instructions of books like Proverbs. And we trust that God is good and that he is who he says that he is. We are not in control of this world or even fully in control of our own individual lives. That job belongs to someone else. And he's the one that appeared to Job at the end of Job's story. Third, third thing that we need to learn from Ecclesiastes is that ultimate meaning is not found here under the sun. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, this is how the editor finishes the entire book. Now all has been heard, 
And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Ecclesiastes reminds us that the things of this world will not bring us what we need. And at the end note, this editor, gives us, uh, this editor gives us the end note to the whole book. It's very short. It reorients us, and he reminds us that there is more that exists than life under the sun. It is true that life is hevel, but God sees everything. And while it is true that sometimes the wicked get what the righteous deserve, and the righteous get what the wicked deserve, that's not the end of the whole story. Everything that happens under the sun is seen by him who is beyond the sun and who will bring into right judgment every deed, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. From the perspective of the teacher who is observing everything that happens under the sun, who is giving to us the very best that human reason can offer to us, life is hevel. The righteous man perishes in his righteousness, and the wicked man lives in his wickedness, but that's not the end. God is beyond the sun. And so at night, when, when you are weeping because you are experiencing the injustices and the pain and the frustrations of this hevel world, you have a God beyond the sun who watches and who knows. Because he sees... And because he knows, he sent Jesus. And Jesus is the answer to all of the questions of Ecclesiastes. God has entered into the hevel of our lives in Jesus. He is the ultimate righteous man that perished in his righteousness. He knows all of our frustrations. He knows what it means to be abandoned by a friend. He knows what it means to do a lot of work, going to have someone come and ruin it. He knows that our world is hevel. And that is why he came from beyond the sun to redeem it. And the brutal and honest truths of Ecclesiastes can lead us to see that our life is beyond our control and that hope and meaning can come, can't come from anything under the sun. And so that then turns our attention to the one who is beyond the sun. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this rich book that puts right in front of us all of the many questions that we have about our life and why things don't work out the way that they should. We thank you that you gave us Ecclesiastes to show us that we're not the only ones who ask these questions. And we thank you, God, for the rest of your word given to us that gives us the answers to these questions. And we thank you that that answer was finally made known to us in Jesus, who took on flesh and who dwelt among us, who served and loved everyone around him, who knelt down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet, who became like a servant for us and suffered death, even death on a cross. 
And we thank you that three days later, he showed his power over the hevel of our world and rose from the dead. We thank you that because of his resurrection, we have hope and meaning and purpose. Amen.